Welcome, everyone, to the Department 12 podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Butina. In our never-ending quest to explain what the hell IO Psych is, there is one hook we could always hang our hats on, and that is that no, we don't do counseling. But today's guest, Dr. Cynthia Davida Cochran, is taking that away from us too. In this episode, we're going to learn about her role as a business resiliency counselor. Welcome, Cynthia. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. All right. So I am very curious to know what a business resiliency counselor does. But before we get into that, I wondered if you could just share a little bit about your background, uh, your education, what your career has been like to this point. Um, okay. I, I have a very um, diverse background. I started um, I, my undergrad uh, degrees in uh, sociology from Pepperdine University, and I um, went to a program that was hosted by the Pepperdine Law School, kind of thinking I might want to pursue law school, and got certified as a mediator through that program. And then I moved back to the East Coast, where I'm from, and decided I thought I might want to hang out my shingle and be a mediator. Only when I moved back here in the sort of mid-90s, uh, no one really knew what mediation was. In fact, they thought I was saying meditate. And they wanted to know what, what mantra I chanted. Like it was just the, the, the understanding just was not there. So uh, along with some others, I started a nonprofit mediation center, um, the ADR center that's still running here in Wellington many, many years later. So I'm very proud of that. Um, but I was 23 and young and dumb, and I had no idea what I was doing starting a nonprofit. Um, and through that, but, but through the process of learning kind of by the, flying by the seat of my pants, I, I learned how to start a business. And though we were a nonprofit, there were a lot of organizational dynamics and or OB, organizational behavior kinds of, um, I, I was able to learn those processes kind of on the fly. And it kind of launched me into a consulting career for nonprofits first. And then I kind of got, because of my mediation background, got roped into consulting in um, high-impact settings, uh, particularly healthcare. So I did that for about a decade, working mostly in optimizing uh, team dynamics, um, particularly in uh, with surgeons and uh, surgical support staff in, in those kinds of settings. <clears throat> so then I was recruited by um, a nuclear power, uh, nuclear utility consulting firm, to do a similar, similar kind of work in nuclear power utilities nationally, internationally, and I um, I was working for that firm when I went back to get my master's and PhD from Walden University, and I uh, ended up developing a, a selection process for nuclear power plants who were experiencing a kind of a rebirth, they called it the nuclear renaissance for a while, new, new, new plants were being built, and, and they were rehiring, so uh, they had some real problems with the shifting talent pool, quite a bit of failure in their selection process in terms of failing out of the program. It's a very challenging process to get licensed, to be a licensed operator through the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And so um, I helped to develop a new strategy process of using assessments, not just for screening out for psychopathology, but just to actually select in based on an updated knowledge, skills, abilities, and other qualities. Um, and so the cool thing about that was that um, I it, it provided a lot of uh, resources for me during that dozen years, and so I also started a few other businesses, 
on the side with some partners. I've owned a, a, a franchise um, nutrition company. I've owned a Pilates studio. Um, I owned a business brokerage for a while, which was a, owned part of that with a partner, which was a family member. So I've had a lot of additional experience starting up and operating uh, small businesses. When I left Nuclear Power Consulting a couple of years ago, I ended up going back to my private practice as, a, as an organizational development, organizational behavior consultant, and doing a lot more coaching of startups and leadership coaching, um, that kind of work in my consulting practice. So, But last spring, <laughs> as many of us who have consulting companies, I think, experienced the first thing to go are consulting dollars and coaching dollars. I was at a kind of decision point in terms of, well, do I continue to try to squeeze money out of my clients to try to get them to be, you know, to keep my coaching contracts in place? Or do I look kind of at other options? So in the process of weighing those options, when I was recruited by another member of the local SBTDC, who let me know that this was a perfect fit for my background, and they really wanted me to consider joining the team. So I had I had heard of SBTDC because, which is the Small Business Technology Development Center, because I had done some work developing a mentor group at a local startup accelerator, uh, is adjacent to and a part of a extension of the University of North Carolina Wilmington, where I taught at the time in the Cameron School of Business. So taught management and leadership, and, um, organizational behavior. I was familiar with them, but I had no idea the breadth and depth of the kind of work that they did. So as soon as I interviewed, kind of did my homework before the interview, I was completely sold that this could be a really cool way for me to pivot and be able to offer similar kinds of services to clients in my hometown area and be able to do it at no cost. No, no cost to the client. So I'm yeah, very excited so about it. It sounds like it was a whole lot of things that came together for you. I mean, there was your education and background, but but obviously your experience as a business owner and entrepreneur, nonprofit founder, all of that sort of converged. I, I imagine a light went on as you saw this, this job listing for something called a business resiliency counselor. Could you just share with us, and I know you only really started a couple of weeks ago, but could you share with us what you do? Right, so I, um, it's funny because I at first thought, oh no, this is just business coaching. It's the same thing I've done, but but it's more than that. And, and I think that that has been part of my learning over the past few weeks. I've had such a warm welcome from the team. It's been so exciting. They've um, invited me to co-counsel with clients they currently have. And then, of course, I've been able to bring in quite a few clients that were my my clients in my private practice. In the process of doing that, I've realized that it's not just business coaching, which is, I kind of come at coaching with a skilled helper perspective. I spend a lot more time uh, with my business coaching clients, like questioning and going through the process of using tools and techniques that are unique to coaching. But there's a business advising process that I would say is equally important and probably even more uh, stressed in business counseling. The director of the center that I work for here in Wilmington, Heather McWhorter, would say, I think she's been kind of advocating for a while to call us business advisors, but business counselors is kind of the standard title across the U.S. because we are the North Carolina version of small business development centers. We have the tech designation. It's sort of an additional credential for us, but these centers exist. They're kind of the best kept secret across the nation as an extension of universities in partnership with the U.S. Small Business Administration. There's that advisor aspect that I 
didn't pivot to as frequently as I am now. I'm serving more in an advisory role. Um, I'm, I'm giving advice based on my experience and also connecting business owners and founders to advice with, you know, we have, we have such a diverse team. Um, we can connect co-counsel and connect business, business founders and business owners to a, just a wealth of resources. So the advisor part, I think, is what's really what makes us more like counselors. Yeah. So I think that, you know, a comment that you made a minute ago, this is one of the best kept secrets across the country, is, was very apt because I suspect that a lot of my listeners are, are kind of hearing about this model for the first time. Uh, I think another question they might have is this advisor piece of it, at least, is it seems to be people asking, okay, well, how do I do this and how do I do that? And if I wanted to know that, I'd go online and look it up. So I guess what I'm wondering is with presumably all of the world's information available online, what does an advisor offer uh, to a client that they couldn't find on their own? Yeah, that's a great question, Ben. And I think the big difference that I've noticed, again, I've only been here a few weeks, but the big difference that I've noticed is that if you go look up something on the, um, you know, Google it, or you, you're inundated with a lot of information. And some of that information has been sifted for you already, just by nature of the way search engines work. Instead of you're relying, being overwhelmed by that or relying on, you know, a search engine to you know, point you in the right direction. Everyone who has, is hired as a business counselor for the SBTDC has, they, we already have a lot of those experiences. We've already kind of, we've gone through this process ourselves for the most part. And so we can shorten some of the decision-making time for a lot of businesses and business owners. And in fact, we have some statistics just pointing to the fact that our business, the businesses that avail themselves of services through their local SBDC or SBTDC like ours, they achieve their objectives, they outgrow, and they outperform their peers. And I have to say that that's probably due to the business advice that they're receiving. It's just high-quality advice from people who have been in similar situations, have struggled in, you know, through similar decision-making processes and, and can shortcut some of those business owners don't have to reinvent the wheel. They can take advantage of things already in place. And also we're focused on mid-sized, small to mid-sized businesses. So I guess that's probably another thing that I should make clear is we are one of the very few business support services that focus on that, um, start those startups, 10 employee to 500 employee sort of range of business size. When you get over, you know, 300, 400 employees, then you have you have a lot more resources to sift through some of that material, that information that's available to you, and, and you can pay for the expertise that you don't have. Whereas smaller businesses don't have that luxury, and so we kind of fit in that in that place where we can help connect people to what to the knowledge that they need. The example that I had in mind is. A mid-sized business, it's about 100, I think about 100 employees. And it's growing in spite of probably maybe because of the pandemic, which is really interesting. That's an interesting dynamic that I've noticed is we're helping a lot of businesses to pivot and to take advantage of actually this unique, strange, weird time that we're all experiencing and leverage that for growth opportunities. And so this business, though, has needs to hire people very quickly for one for a subsidiary that they have kind of are spinning off. And their HR department is limited. I was able to connect them to some um, web-based tools and apps that they were unaware of, that they wouldn't have even probably thought about. They're a rural, very hands-on kind of organization. And not that they're not sophisticated, they actually are quite sophisticated and they have a lot of technology that they're already leveraging 
to manage their business, but this they hadn't considered recruiting, onboarding, doing those kinds of things through an app. I've, ex- I've had that experience. I was able to pivot them really quickly, and they'll be they found we found a low cost solution that'll be able to meet their need and attract people, not necessarily just right in their community, to their business. So just things like that, like we provide just really high value consulting and advising for our clients that are not used to getting help. Also, because it's a confidential process, I think a lot of small business owners and founders and startup founders always think that they're, you know, they're always watching their bottom line. They're always watching what they spend on everything. And so they don't don't necessarily have the resources, the capitalization to be able to, you know, engage with their attorney or their CPA um, on a daily or weekly basis. Whereas for no cost to them, they can reach out and get an SBTDC counselor who can do a lot of those, a lot of similar things, you know, for free. And we have a very high touch kind of interaction. We're very uh, diligent in our, you know, we're we see, you know, upcoming webinars. We, we do a lot of education as well. So like this week, I attended what's called an Investor Ready Entrepreneur webinar with one of my startup founding clients in which the panelists were all angel investors or they work with and manage venture capital funds. And they were able to just glean some tremendous feedback on their pitch also, they were able to understand more fully the, the investing landscape in our state. It was, it was tremendous, and we sponsor that as regularly as a part of the mission of our statewide SBTDC. So those are some of the things that are unique, I think, and something that a small business owner, even though they could find information online, they may not be able to sift through it and really decide what's most valuable and most applicable to their organization's mission, vision, and strategic goals. And in fact, it's funny because a lot of people who start businesses aren't necessarily like, they they don't have a degree in business. I mean, they just have an idea. So sometimes we're introducing them to some tools and techniques and ideas like strategy that they really haven't, you know, they may be living week to week, month to month, year to year on their business, and they're not thinking in terms of those long-term kinds of plans. So we can help them with that as well. It sounds like the teams are are multidisciplinary. So there's people with many different kinds of backgrounds, and I'm assuming that many of them have, you do, experience starting, running uh, your own businesses, entrepreneurs, franchisees, that kind of thing. What do you think IO psychology could bring into this uh, endeavor? Yeah, so that's a great question because... uh, there's in the latest wave of hiring, um, which is funded by the CARES Act, I and one other IO psychologist um, were hired in, for the North Carolina team, statewide team. And we had this conversation recently. I was like, well, what do, we th- what do you think we bring? He agreed that we bring the concepts that we would bring, you know, application of psychological principles to workplace problems or challenges that are particularly focused on people issues. For instance, one of the one of the founders I'm working with has a software integration with a large CRM it's used, you know, all over the globe, and his software integration makes it easier for sales managers to encourage correct behavior or desirable behavior with the sales their salespeople. But he's a little frustrated because he can't meet everyone's needs and every organization he's been sort of pitching this to and get and his early customers have asked for a lot of adaptations that he doesn't think are necessarily it's not how he would do things. And so one of the things I've been able to bring to him is 
behavioral insights, walk him through how what we know about, for instance, social pressure and how and the value of social pressure on on uh, encouraging desired behavior. One of the things, for instance, we added to the dashboard on this app that he has is a de-identified graph showing the other salespeople and whether and and their progress towards monthly goals. You know, so instead of like people, he sees little dots, but there's you know 50 dots and he can see his dot or her dot in comparison to the other dots on the sales team. And that's that's a way of you of, of incorporating, you know, social pressure, which is behavioral insight that we know is very effective. We know it from research. So that evidence-based practice I was able to bring instead of sort of a, a mile wide and an inch deep kind of application of, you know, using tools that are already in place, we can help individuals customize and and really improve based on research their business not just using widely available but really specialized expertise like that he's finding his customers love it and just using the term behavioral insights in his marketing has increased his uptick on companies who want him to pitch to them now so it's really kind of a exciting thing to see. Very cool. So I think we've kind of heard what what you would perceive to be the best part of your job, which is helping, you know, these business owners, uh, especially those that, you know, from these small and medium-sized businesses that would otherwise go without the kind of expert advice that your team provides. What's been the most surprising thing about this job for you in your first couple of weeks? Having a PhD is, as my wonderful committee chair, my dissertation committee chair, Dr. James Herndon, who I will forever be grateful for his phenomenal expertise. One time he told me, uh, Cynthia, getting your PhD is about learning more and more and more about less and less and less. That's that narrow, that narrowing of focus is necessary when you write a dissertation. What's been exciting for me and, and very surprising is that, that that depth of understanding is valued here, but uh, they immediately, my, my uh, upline immediately approached me about learning the other things that I don't know. I'm not a financial planner. I don't have a background in finance. I, I never worked for a bank, but a, many of my colleagues have. And so I'm required to have 40 hours every year of continuing professional education within three weeks of starting. Well, first of all, they've really collapsed our, because of the nature of our, our process. Those of us who are uh, CARES Act funded, you know, resiliency counselors, we've, they've compressed our time frame of learning from a six month sort of onboarding process to is like six or eight weeks. So we are really coming on board quick. So they signed me up for a um, the economic development financial planner certification process of how, for instance, a government, we have a PTAC person, which is a, who has expertise in government procurement that I, um, I'll be sort of learning alongside. His job is to also teach us how government contact, contracting works and how um, our clients can do business with the U.S. government, which is, you know, the largest uh, provider of, you know, they, they buy everything. <laughs> so it's it, that's a whole realm uh, that I'll be learning more about as I progress through this next year. I think that's the most surprising thing, that they aren't just pulling me in for my expertise, which they definitely did, but, but I they're like, okay, you know all of these things, that's great, but now we're going to teach you all of this. And that's exciting for me. I'm a continuous learning. I'm a, I just believe in continuous learning. And that's, 
that's something that is well aligned with the mission of the SPTDC. Very cool. Well, I want to wish you the best of luck as you uh, gain all that new knowledge and skills. That's definitely exciting and very much up my alley as well. And I want to thank you also for being on the show. I'll share your contact information in the show notes for anyone who wants to reach out to you and learn a little more. And thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. It was a real pleasure.